All right, well, I get the privilege of concluding the book of Philippians here this morning, and I just want to tell you that it is a great privilege, one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to preach God's Word. And I don't take that lightly, just during that countdown while I'm sitting up here, I like to come up before the countdown is done, just to kind of get my mind right and get focused, and I just thank God. and say, God, how in the world is it that you would let me preach your Word to your people? And so it's just such a humbling honor that God would would, would, would use me. It's a humbling honor that God would use any of us, right? right? To do anything for him. It's just, it's really amazing that God allows us to take part in what he's doing. And you know what? That's actually the prayer that we should all pray. Lord, where are you at work? And how can I be a part of what you're doing? Because that's what, that's what I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of what I'm trying to accomplish and do. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. Amen? All right, so... We're concluding Philippians, and it's interesting that when we go to the last section of Philippians here in chapter 4, he's, fo- he's going to focus on partnership. He's going to focus on partnership, and that's really how he began. He began in, in partnership. Philippians 1.27, he talks about being in partnership and that he wants the believers at Philippi to strive together in unity for the purpose of the gospel moving forward. And then he's going to end with talking about partnership and how the church at Philippi can partner together with him in ministry. And so he he begins in partnership and focuses on unity, and then he ends with partnership and unity around the gospel. But he ends talking about a specific connection between brothers and sisters in Christ and partnership, and he focuses on the reality of giving and receiving, on financial support in the ministry. And so this morning, we're going to talk about money this morning. We're going to talk about our giving. We're going to talk about finances. And, and it's difficult, I think, for every pastor to kind of talk about that subject. And, you know, this last, I've been knowing for several weeks that this is the, the subject I was going to be covering. And, and anytime I kind of begin to develop a message centered around finances or giving or start thinking of, that I have to do it, um, I get to be a little, kind of a little squirmy a little bit because I feel like that there are some stereotypes that are out there in the world and, and there's reasons why that it's difficult for preachers to preach about money. And I think there's really two reasons. One is, is the influence of ungodly prosperity preachers. Is that preachers can develop a reputation even if they're not a prosperity preacher, because of other preachers that are out there, you can develop this idea that, oh, that's all that preachers want to do is talk about money. They just want to get you in the door so they can get to your pocketbook. You, you got to wait, you know, you got to wait because they're, they're, they're going to preach to you, but you got to wait, their hand's coming for your pocketbook. And so there's that reputation. And so I, I just want to say this, we, we only pass the, the bucket once per month. Because I think that's such a great tradition that Pastor Renee started here. That every Sunday we're not up here passing the plate. But you have opportunities to give anytime God lays on your heart to give. But, but, but money is important. Money is a very important subject. And it's interesting, I, I, doing some research, you know, it shouldn't be an intimidating subject for us to talk about because the Bible talks about money a whole lot. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer. Fewer than 500 verses on faith and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. More than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Jesus himself, in the, in the Gospels, when you see him talking about money, he talked more about money and possessions than he talked about heaven and hell combined. 
He talked more about money and possessions than any other subject that he talked about. So why is it? Why is it that the Bible focuses a lot on money and possession? Why is it that Jesus talked more about finances and possessions than he did about heaven and hell? Why did he do that? I believe simply that the reason is that there is a direct connection between the affections of our heart and our money. Our money will gravitate towards the things we love the most. There is a direct connection between our money and our affections. And you want to know what you love? Look at your checking account. Look at where your money goes. And sometimes that's discouraging for my wife and I. We look at our checking account and we're like, Moe's, Wendy's, Arby's, Chick-fil-A. And we're like, we just must really love food a whole lot because our money goes all these different places, right? But there really is a spiritual truth there that our money takes on our affections. And that can be discouraging or encouraging in our life. You know, our affections, we, we love, I love my spouse, so I love to spend money on my wife. We're going on our anniversary this next month in December. I'm taking her to South Carolina, and, and I've already told her what, what her budget is. And it's, and, and I'm, you know, I mean, that, that sounds bad. I'm trying to act like I'm, well, I love to spend money on her, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> so, so, but I love to do that. Why? Because my affections are for her. And so there's a direct connection to that. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. And this is when the affections get off concerning money. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have Jesus as the Lord of your life and at the same time allow your affections to be controlled by money. The pursuit of trying to be as rich as you can be and the pursuit of trying to buy all the things that your desires want. You can't serve God and money at the same time. You can only have one Lord and the Lord of your life has to control your finances. And so this closing section in Philippians He's going to talk about partnership. He's going to talk about giving and receiving. And so I believe it's incredibly important that we talk about Christian giving here this morning. We talk about the nature of Christian giving and why it is that we give to the Lord's work. Why it is that we give in our life to see the gospel move forward. And the Apostle Paul really in this section, in this closing section, really gives us really, really profound points about Christian giving. So let's read this section. Philippians 4, 14 through 23, and we'll conclude this study. So it says this. It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God be, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
So that's the end of Philippians. That's the end. And he ends speaking about this partnership, this giving and receiving relationship, this joy. And it's amazing. He really talks about this joy. Think about that verse. Let's go back. Let's put that, let's put that verse back up. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. There was this, there was this love and this joy that the Philippian church had in sharing the troubles that the apostle Paul had. He was in prison and he's writing this letter and, and, and he got, and they got word that he was in need and in want. And so it was the joy, it was the joy of their heart to provide for his needs so that the gospel could continue to move forward in and through the apostle Paul's life. And so what, what we want to do here is, is I, I believe there's really four principles about Christian giving that we see in these verses that we're going to unpack, we're going to pull out here. And so the first thing is very, really obvious. Christian giving is a partnership. Christian giving is a partnership. That's what he says there. And you Philippians, Philippians 4, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. And so he's talking about a partnership. And this is the first principle that we see, that Christian giving in our life when we give as believers, whether it's our tithe to the local church or it's, or it's we, we give to other charities or we give to one another, we support uh, people that we know that are in need, Christian giving is a partnership. And specifically, we're thinking about the local church. It's a partnership between us together as the body of Christ. We are partnering together. I am giving. You are giving. And we're partnering together in unity with our finances to see the gospel move forward through this church, through this ministry, through the outreaches, through the missionaries we support, and all the different things we do in the gospel. It is a partnership. But you know, a partnership, when you think about that word, that word, when we talk about that in the church, it's increasingly difficult to talk about partnerships in the church. Do you know why it's difficult? It's because of the increase of ninja-style Christians. Are there any ninja Christians here today? Are you a ninja today? Ninja style Christians. This is what I call ninja style Christianity. So you, 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 you appear Sunday to Sunday. You slip in. You slip out. You don't leave a footprint. And you get out. And that's an increasingly a, a, a common thing that happens within church. And especially a church with a building this big, it's easy to slip in and slip out and just kind of be a ninja Christian. You slip in, you raise your hands, you worship the Lord, you hear a sermon, you slip out. And so it can kind of develop, if we're not careful, and not into a partnership, but into a consumeristic type approach to church. I slip in, I slip out, I slip in, I receive, I hear, I consume, and then I slip out, I don't interact, I don't partner. And you know, partnership in ministry is so much more than just financial giving. Partnership, when we partner together in the ministry here, it is serving together with, with, with one another to, to, to serve God in, in his kingdom through the many different ways in which you serve here. So it's so much more than giving. But it's easy for us. And look, I would feel the same way. Sometimes I don't feel like talking with everyone here to, on Sunday. Should I say that? Is that should, should I say that? I don't know if I can say that. I said it. It's too late now. Um, but we all feel that way, don't we, at times? 
Sometimes I've had a bad week. Sometimes, sometimes I just feel like, I, you know, I just want to kind of, you know, I, I remember growing up, I'd be in churches and the preacher would come from backstage to come out and preach. You wouldn't stay during worship. Have you ever seen that? That's appealing from time to time. Just come out, preach the word, slip in like a ninja, a ninja preacher. You just hear me preach and I leave. But that's not a partnership. A partnership is interacting, it's connecting. We are sent, we are partnered together around the purpose of seeing the gospel move forward in the earth. And that happens in many ways. That happens through our financial gifts. That happens through us serving in the church. That happens through us serving together in foreign missions in all the different ways that we serve. And again, that's what the Apostle Paul wants for the church. He says that, and I quoted this earlier in Philippians 1.27. Listen to this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. And this was when we were talking about in the series, Partners in the Gospel. It's this idea that we're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's a partnership, there's a unity, and Christian giving is a partnership. Philippians 2 says this, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, and one mind. So what we do here is more, from Sunday to Sunday, is more than just putting on a show. It's more than just having music for us to sing together so we can be uh, entertained or watch something or get through a service. Or it's more than just hearing a sermon preached. It's more than just a Sunday routine or ritual. It is a partnership. God desires that we will be partnered together for what? To see the gospel move forward. To see the message that's transformed our life. To see that it increases in the life of our community. It increases in the life of our family. How many of you? want to see the gospel move forward in your family. You have loved ones that, that don't know the Lord. That's what we do. We partner together for that purpose, to see the gospel move forward. When you bring your loved ones here on Sunday mornings and we're exalting Christ, we're worshiping the Lord, the gospel is communicated and preached. It's all a partnership. And all that we give, our finances, our time, our time, our talent, and our treasure, it's all centered around the fact that we are in this together for the gospel to move forward. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying He's saying, he's saying, it was kind of you to partner with me in the gospel, to care enough about my needs, to see that I was supplied so that I can, so that I can be who God's called me to be in ministry. Christian giving is a partnership. We are all called to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the earth. God calls the church to gather together for, for the purpose of partnering together to that end. And Christian giving must be seen as a partnership. When we give to the Lord's work, we are partnering together to advance the gospel. The giving of our finances is, is a sign. Listen, the giving of our finances, when we give our finances to the Lord's work, it is a sign of our love for the Lord and his work in the earth. And a sign of our unity in that work. As partners, we share the common goal of gospel proclamation. Amen? So when you put your money in the boxes... Or you go online and you do your giving. Or however you give to Living Word Church. You have to see it. That it's not just, it's not just something that you do that's just a, a good habit or, or a routine that you do. No, 
Christian giving is a partnership. You're partner, we're partnering together to move the gospel forward. Amen? Second thing we see about Christian giving is that Christian giving stores up treasures in heaven. It's a partnership, but it's doing something. Whenever you are, when, when, when money's not controlling you and you're controlling your money and you're prioritizing your money and you're giving it to the Lord's work, you're, you're giving it into the Lord's kingdom, whether it's at this church or other, or other gospel uh, things that go on around the world, wherever you give your money, when you're giving it for gospel purposes, you are storing up treasures in heaven. That's what Philippians 4.17 says. I, I, I love this. Paul said earlier, he said, it was kind of you to share in giving and receiving with me. And now we're partners together. And he says this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It's this idea of eternal reality that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's saying that you are giving to me so that the gospel can move forward and you're seeking to meet my needs. You're giving unto the Lord. And he says that actually... There's something that's increasing to your credit whenever you honor the Lord with your finances. It's clear right there. There's something that's added to your credit, and it's this idea of eternal realities. That we are sto- when we are giving, we are storing up treasures in heaven. That's what Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you see the parallel there? He says we have really only two places we can store up our treasures. It's either going to be in the earth, things that are not eternal, or it's going to be things that are eternal. And the Apostle Paul and Jesus is saying in Matthew here to not store up your treasures in things that are going to corrupt and are going to go away in time. But store up your treasures. Have, have an eternal mindset about the things that the Lord has given us. And that when I invest, and look, and, and, and look the, the ways in which we invest our finances in our family, that's eternal. Because we're called to take care of our family. We're called to provide for our family, to work, to work hard, to earn money so that we can provide for those that we love. And that's eternal. That is godly that we do that. But, but also in other areas of our finances, when we give them to the Lord's work for the gospel to move forward, we are storing up treasures in heaven. When we have an eternal perspective about this life and we hold loosely the things that God has blessed us with, we are always ready to invest in God's kingdom. Kingdom investment produces eternal blessings. I just want us to stop and think for a second. How many lives are touched by your faithfulness in financial giving? We may never know. You may never know. Think about over 40 years of this church and finances given. Think about how many tens of thousands of people have come through all the different locations that Living Word has met. And it takes finances. This building was not free. It's paid for because of many of your faithful giving here. But it takes money to do what we do here. But think about the reality that because of your faithful giving, because of you storing up treasures in heaven and having an eternal mindset about the things that God blesses you with, how many lives have been impacted because we prioritize eternal things? I mean, we can't even fathom it. How many people have come in here and heard the gospel preached? How many missionaries have taken the money that has been invested in this church 
And we support missionaries. Over 10% of the money that comes in here goes to missionaries around the world. And think about how many lives that have been touched by the missionaries that are around the world spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is an eternal impact. It's not about here and now. It's about eternity. It's the priority that we have. Think about the eternal impact. How many people have heard the gospel because we have been generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure? Amen. It's difficult to preach about money. Listen to this scripture, Romans 10. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You gotta be, someone's got to be sent. And that can mean, practically speaking, in your everyday life, you are, you, God is sending you into your family, into your job, into your realm of influence to preach the gospel. But specifically, when you think about missionaries and preachers and the gospel moving forward in ministry around the world, how will they go unless they are sent? It takes somebody investing, having an eternal mindset for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sermons we preach, the ministries we lead, the outreaches we put on, the missionaries we support, in all of these ways and more, when we give generously to support the Lord's work in the earth, we are storing up treasures in heaven. Amen? You know, we like to think of giving as, if we're not careful, we can think of it like a 401k plan. And so I'm going to give, and then the Lord's going to give me the finances back in return. That's not how giving works. That's kind of, kind of like giving. You want to obey the Lord and you want to give, but it's like subtly our motives are mixed. When you're storing up treasures in heaven, you, you take the money that God's blessed you with and you say, Lord, wherever you're leading me to invest this, these finances you've blessed me with, I'm letting it go into your kingdom, into, into, into your work, because I'm storing up treasures in heaven, not in the earth. I'm not giving so that I can store up treasures in earth. Do you, did you follow me there? Sometimes we think, and that's the prosperity gospel. That's where it gets crazy is that it's, it's this twisted mindset that you need to store up treasures in heaven so that you can store up treasures on earth. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's either one or, one or the other. We're storing up treasures in heaven so that the gospel can move forward, not so that we can receive blessings back from the Lord. We are continually encouraged. And this is a, this is a, I think this is a struggle in our world today. We're thinking about storing up treasures in heaven. We're continually encouraged today to invest in the moment. Did you ever heard that? Invest in the moment. Live for the moment. Live for the moment. Live for today. And the other one, if you've you heard the phrase YOLO, you only live once. That's kind of the mindset today. Live for the moment. Live for today. Live for right now. In every area of your life, live for right now because you, ne- you never know what tomorrow may bring. You know, I actually, I actually believe all those things, but I believe them in a, in a different perspective. And here's what I would say to all those ideas. Invest in the moment because eternal things matter the most. Invest in the moment right now in eternal things because eternal things matter the most. Live for today because we can make eternal impact in someone's life today. Who is it in your life today that God will call you to make an eternal impact in? So live for today. 
Don't be distracted with all the mindsets of the world of just living for self today, but live in it with an eternal mindset for today. Who can I impact today? And you only live once, right? So yes, you only live once. So live for Christ and invest in eternal plans. Invest in his eternal kingdom today. Amen? So Christian giving is a partnership between brothers and sisters in Christ to move the gospel forward. And Christian giving stores up treasures in heaven and it also reflects our priorities for advancing the kingdom. Thirdly, the third principle we learn here in Philippians about Christian giving is that Christian giving is a sacrificial offering that pleases the Lord. Look what Paul says here. He says, you, got, you started a part, you've been in partnership with me. You're the only church that has done that. And, 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 and you are storing, and that, that partnership is like storing up treasures in heaven. And listen to what he says here, Philippians 4.18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And listen to how he describes the gifts that they sent. He describes their gifts. He says their gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. So what's the Apostle Paul saying here? It's interesting he's using Old Testament sacrificial system language. He calls their gift a fragrant offering. He calls it a sacrifice. And then he says that that fragrant sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord. And that was the... That was a a model of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Before Christ came, the nation of Israel, for their sins to be atoned for, every year the priest would take spotless lambs and they would take those lambs and there was a specific way prescribed in the law by God that these, that the sacrifices would take place. And so whenever they would follow the law of God concerning the sacrifices, the priest would offer the sacrifices. It would be an aroma of, of, of the incense of the sacrifice coming up before the Lord. And it was a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. So the Apostle Paul is using an old covenant picture here of what our new covenant giving looks like. So in the Old Testament, this system had to be done a certain way. It was a certain way the Lord prescribed that the sacrifices were to take place. But then the prophets of the Old Testament began to speak about something that was going to come. They began to speak about something that was going to change. They began to speak about who was going to come. And was going to do away with the Old Testament, the old system of sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. Behold... Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, say new covenant with me, new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant. What's the, what's the new covenant? This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law with in them. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So now the old covenant was a prescription of rules and laws to follow to be pleasing to the Lord. The new covenant is about internal realities that the law is written on our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews talks about this, talks about the sacrificial system being fulfilled in Christ. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ 
had offered, speaking past tense, when he had offered on the cross for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, this single offering pleased the Lord, this single offering he has perfected for all time, those that are being sanctified. And then the writer of Hebrews references Jeremiah. He says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So some of you are thinking, what does that have to do with Christian giving? What is this picture of the Old Testament sacrificial system? Paul uses the language there in Philippians. What is that picture of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the doing away with that for the once for all sacrifice of Christ? What does it have to do with Christian giving? I think it has everything to do with Christian giving. Here's what I believe. I believe if we're not careful as believers, as concerning tithing, as concerning tithing, we can revert to a minimum requirement law-based giving. There was a prescription that the Lord gave in the Old Testament. And he said, this is what you have to do to be pleasing to me. To have a pleasing sacrifice to me. For for your sins to be atoned for. Then the new covenant comes. Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking ahead that there's going to come a time whenever the Lord, the law of the Lord will be written on men's heart. And now it will be an internal love in our heart that God is pleased with. So if we're not careful in our Christian giving, tithing can just simply become a bare minimum that we do, that we get by with, that we say, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do in my life. Tithing shouldn't be seen as the bare minimum that that, that I have to do, but rather the baseline that I start at. And sometimes that's where we get ourselves in. We look at tithing as a bill I got to pay. I got, a, I got my electricity bill, I got my water bill, I got my cable, I got all my bills, and now I got to write, my, I gotta write my, my bill out to the church, to the Lord. Tithing was never meant to be something that is just this, this, this part of giving in our, in our life that's not connected with our heart. Every area of life, think of any area in your life that God wants you to walk in that should not be connected with your heart. All of what, all of that we do, the songs that we sing, the work that we do for the Lord, every area that we serve him, if it becomes something that we're doing that we feel like we have to do, we've missed the point. It has to come from our heart. Think about marriage. Think about marriage. You know, I'm, I'm bound by law, by the law of the land, by the law of the Lord, to love my wife. And you know what's dangerous if I'm not careful? That my affections for my life, for my wife, can just become routine and mundane. And it's just, I'm just doing it because I have to do it. Who wants a marriage like that? And this is what I want to tell you about Christian giving. Christian giving that is pleasing to the Lord, that is an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord, is giving that comes, whether it's tithe or offerings, however you give, it comes from your heart. It comes from your heart. Every area of our life as a believer is about our heart motivation. If tithing becomes a legalistic function in your life, you miss out. Hear me. If tithing becomes a legalistic function in your life, you miss out on the blessing that God has intended through new covenant relationship. Amen? Amen. Would you like to know the pattern for new covenant giving? 
Bible tells us. Paul praises the Philippian church in another book, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Philippian church, they love to give, right? We see this in the book of Philippians chapter 4. They love to give. But the Apostle Paul talks about their heart of generosity and giving to the church of Corinth. He writes a letter to the church of Corinth and he praises the Macedonian church, which, which Philippi was a part of the Macedonian church. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this to the church at Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And Philippi was a part of the Macedonian church. Listen to this language. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. How often is that combination true? Let's read that again. Severe test of affliction, these, these Philippians at Philippi, listen to this, severe test of affliction and abundance of joy. Is that very common? How many of you have an abundance of joy when you're in a severe test of affliction? But listen, it doesn't stop there. Severe test of affliction, they have abundance of joy and then extreme poverty. Affliction, poverty, joy. But what did they do? Those all have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is the offering taken, taken up for the, for the church in Jerusalem. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You hear that? It is a heart, not of, I have to do this because, because I'm required. It is a heart of joy, great joy. This is the pattern of new covenant giving as new covenant Christians. When we give our tithes, when we give our offerings, when we give unto the Lord's work, it's not a get by. It's not a bare minimum. No matter what we're in, tests of affliction, poverty, and struggle, We say, Lord, it is the great joy of my heart to store up treasure in heaven. It is the great joy of my heart to partner together for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians 9, listen to this. He continues his thought about the church at Philippi. He says this, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, that's me, that's you, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. What's the criteria? What you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly under, or under compulsion. Have you, ever been, have you ever been reluctant to give your tithes? Have you ever felt under compulsion, if I don't give it, something bad's going to happen? We should never get into that pattern. Don't, don't give in any, whether it's your tithes, offerings, or wherever you give your money. Not reluctantly. It shouldn't be, uh, well, you know, you, you're squeezing the dollar bill so hard that, that uh, Washington's crying. <laughs> shouldn't be reluctantly. I remember with Reagan one time, we were trying to teach her about, about giving, about setting aside a tenth of what we give. And, and, and she, I think we gave her a, what was it, what type of bill was it? Yeah, she gave her a 20, and, and she's like, oh, not those monies. <laughs> she didn't want to give the 20. She wanted to give, she wanted to give a little something less than that 20, right? And, and that's our tendency, even with a three- or four-year-old, 
right? We want to hold on to the money in any way that we give. We don't give reluctantly. And we don't give under compulsion where we feel like we are compelled by outside sources and manipulated to give. No. You give as you decided in your heart, not under compulsion, not reluctantly. For what? For God loves a cheerful giver. That's how, that's how Christians give. Cheerful givers. The pattern of New Covenant giving is a generosity that overflows from the heart. Not reluctant, legalistic, or compulsory. And that type of giving that we see was the heart of the Philippians is a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to the Lord. Amen? Last thing we see. You guys ready for some good news? Because I know I'm challenging your thinking. Look, I don't want you to stop paying your tithes because we've got to pay the light bill next month and we got we got salaries to pay and we got ministries to support and we have things that we do in the ministry here that has to be done because you give but i don't want you to get into a rut in your tithing where it's just you're reluctant you're you feel like you have to do it or god's gonna god's gonna slash your tire and god's gonna cause your water heater to bust and you give why because the lord has changed your life transformed you You've been transformed by the gospel and you give out of a heart of generosity. This kind of sacrificial giving is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. But here's the good news. This is, this is the truth about giving. You, do you want to know the full truth about giving? Christian giving comes with a promise. That's the last point. Christian giving comes with a promise. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. The Philippians, Paul is telling the Philippians, you have partnered with me. You're the only church that's partnered with me. And you are giving generously. And he brags about them to the church at Corinth that even despite their severe affliction and even despite their deep poverty, they have a lavish generosity to give to the needs of the body of Christ. And he says that there's a promise connected with lavish giving, with generous giving that seeks to support the Lord's work in the earth. And this is the promise. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. God made a promise to Noah. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping will remain. There's a promise connecting with sowing there's a promise connecting with, connected with giving that when we are giving out of hearts of love for the Lord, joyful hearts of generosity, that God is going to bless us. And he blesses us far beyond just finances, doesn't he? He blesses us with peace in our hearts. He blesses us with a joy that can't be explained in the middle of trials. He blesses us in many ways. God promises in his word that when we prioritize giving in support of his kingdom work, that he will supply every need we have. Look at the promise. You remember I read earlier in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Look at the promise at at the end of this exhortation about the church at Philippi. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. Amen? It's a promise. God will meet all of our needs. 
heard a story while I was studying this. It was in a commentary book that I was reading. And it was um, by a pastor named Tony Meridia. And he was telling, Tony, Pastor Tony was telling a story about a friend of his that he went to seminary with. And the, the, the friend he went to seminary with became a youth pastor. And so, you know, youth pastors tend to, from time to time, tend to struggle in their finances because for, for some reason, churches pay youth pastors the least amount of money. I don't know why that is, right? I can't figure that one out. Um, but this guy was struggling, him and his wife. And we, we, we pay the Ferones well. They, they are blessed. But this youth pastor was struggling. And so he's reading Philippians. Him and his wife are reading Philippians. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They had 13 cents left in their checking account. Can you imagine that? That's, that's pretty bad. 13 cents left in your checking account. And you, you know what's even worse? They were out of toilet paper. And they didn't get paid till the next day. That's a bad situation. So they got on their knees, as the story goes, as, as I read it, and they prayed, Lord, we are standing on your word that you're going to supply all of our needs. According to your riches, you're a rich God. You, you own everything. And so they got up from their prayer, and they heard a knock on their door. And they went and opened the door. And on the ground, on the front step, was a bag, was a box of toilet paper. <laughs> a box of toilet paper. How often does that happen? So they looked out a little bit, and their house had been toilet paper rolled <laughs> by, the, by the youth group. There was toilet paper all over their, their trees in their house. And the youth group decided, the, the youth group decided to leave the evidence at the front step. So you can believe whatever you want to believe, but I believe that a, a, a good sovereign God who supplies all of our needs made sure that toilet paper was at that front door to provide for them, to remind them that God is faithful. That's a promise of our generosity that God will meet all of our needs. But here's where, here's where we have to always remember, God promises to provide our needs, not our greeds or our desires. He promises to supply every need, not every greed and desire. So I want to remind us of this. I have two scriptures I want to end with. I don't want to remind us of this, thinking about God's provision for our life. If you will determine in your heart to, 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 to put the Lord first in every area of your life, including your finances, be generous and give to the Lord's work as the Lord lays on your heart. Honor him with the first fruit of all of your increase. I want to read this scripture to you. This is Jesus. Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. They seek after, they make the, the priority of their life earthly things. That's what the Gentiles seek after. And your Heavenly Father knows you need them all. He knows we have needs. But here's the key. But seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And that includes in our finances. Seek first the kingdom of God in our finances, in every area of our life, in his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's the promise he's going to meet our needs. So here's, our, here's my last call to us. We're going to end with this. And, and, and it's going to be interesting when I read it, because some of you are going to think, well, this doesn't mean, this doesn't apply to me. So I just want to tell you that all of us are rich here today Amen. compared to the rest of the world. Yes. We are all wealthy compared to people around the world that have far less than what we have. So this is a call for all of us here today as concerning Christian giving. As for, this is First Timothy 6, 17 and 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves and a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? I did it. That's how I feel. I'm going to have a good nap today. The Lord's growing me. You know, I, I, I was uh, talking with a preacher friend of mine from Texas. And uh, I was talking about this subject. This is like last year. I think I, think I preached on giving uh, around the Ephesians series. It was the first book that we, that we went through. And I just was telling him, it's like, man, I just, man, I just don't want to preach about money. I just, you know, I think because I just... I can't stand the prosperity gospel so much. It bothers me so much that I don't ever want to be characterized as somebody that is after people's money. Look, if you quit giving and you go to some other church, I pray God's blessing on you. God would bless you generously. But, but, but as I'm studying this this week, the scripture is so clear. I mean, it's so clear. The Apostle Paul said that when we give, that it stores up something for our credit in heaven. That there are rewards. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, generously, will reap generously. Yeah. And so, it has been difficult for me to share this word. But I have to obey the Lord. I am have to preach his word. And I thank you. I just want to end like this. Thank you for your generous giving. Man. Sometimes when I, you know, I look at, I get an email for the weekly offering that comes in and I'm just blown away week after week. Even on the weeks where it's a low offering, for whatever reason, it's, it's lower. I just think, but look at how much it is. Look at the sacrifice. And I, and, and I don't ever want to compare myself to the Apostle Paul, but I'm loosely saying this. I feel like the Apostle Paul in those moments, I think, what, what, what a great joy it is to see a partnership with you and us as Living Word Church, that we're together in this. And what a great joy. So thank you for your generosity. And, and I want to tell you that God will richly bless you. And he has richly blessed you. Amen? Amen.
Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you're faithful to us. And I pray that you'd help us in every area of our life. I pray that we would never just give just because we feel like we have to. Lord, may we never give our tithes or offerings or whatever we give. May it never just be this legalistic, ritualistic thing that is void of affection and love for you. God, may it be filled with love for you, a passion for your kingdom and your work in the earth. I thank you for that reality, Lord, that when we give like that, that you generously, when we give generously and lavishly, that you will supply all of our needs. We have no reason to be anxious. Because if you take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more will you take care of us? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Bless them today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. I love you. See you next week.